In the restaurant of life, we're putting freedom back on the menu. It's the Missouri Liberty Report with John Williams, working with grassroots organizations and legislatures to make Missouri the freest state in the nation. Let freedom ring. All right, we're back with another edition of the Missouri Liberty Report. Thanks so much for joining me again this week. Again, to all of those who support this show via podcast, YouTube, Rumble, or radio, thank you all very much for your continued support. Uh, you know, we're going to be bringing in hopefully a lot of new guests and, uh, and some new topics as well in the coming weeks. But I'm very, very excited. Um, I do not remember the name of the uh, documentary that I watched from Reason which uh, Gretchen told me is about 10 years old. But right towards the end of the documentary, um, this organization, Moms United Against the War on Drugs, was brought up. And I thought, hey, man, there are some people that I'd like to talk to because that's a different type of, type of an organization name. But their reasoning is sound, right? We want, we want to end prohibition. We know that it, it hasn't done any harm, but it's done it off. I mean, it hasn't done any good, but it's done a lot of harm, especially to those who are facing addiction problems, people in low income communities. And we see, you know, we have private prison systems thriving on um, on the war on drugs. And we need an about face and we need to do our best to educate others on why this is such an awful idea. But, you know, I need to stop yammering on and bring on my guest, Gretchen. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for inviting me to participate. Absolutely. This is one of those topics that I get kind of worked up about. Um, but I guess to start off the show, if you would, just kind of let everybody or tell everybody about yourself and about the organizations, and then we'll just uh, jump right into the fray here. Sure. Um so, in 1999, I started the organization A New Path, Parents for Addiction Treatment and Healing, with two other people, parents, who had uh, children, and when I say children, they were young adults, um, but they're always your children, right, that were, were struggling with um, substance use disorders and, and also uh, suffering because of their involvement with the criminal justice system, which was making everything so much worse. And we felt as parents that we needed to be um, uh, take a leading position when instead what was happening with parents was they, they were feeling shamed that not only that they're, they're because of the stigma with the substance use disorders, but also um, and especially if they were had involvement with the criminal justice system. And we felt very strongly that um, that we we needed to to work to reduce the stigma and that we needed to have therapeutic rather than punitive drug policies and that as parents we knew firsthand uh you know that this is a a, a disorder and and it's it, it is treatable and people can find recovery um, but we're making it so much worse by shunning them and um, by punishing them for uh you know we don't punish people who have diabetes when they eat a candy bar, right? So um, they they shouldn't be looked down on because they were strugg- they're struggling to find um, recovery. Um, so we started the organization, and I'll tell you, I had no idea that the need would be so great. 
Um, we we just grew by leaps and bounds. I am a fashion show producer. Um, I, I still am uh, by trade, um, but I'm also most importantly a mom, and I had two sons who were struggling with addiction to heroin. Um, at, at first, when I started the program, I didn't realize my second son was going in the same direction, but. Um, certainly had my first son had been incarcerated for possession of marijuana when he was just 20 years old, which started, uh, you know, 11 years of cycling in and out of the criminal justice system. So I knew firsthand that this was wrong and that there, there were others that were struggling as well. And that it was time to speak up, um, and, and kind of lead a movement of parents and moms who, uh, who would advocate for compassionate, tolerant, restorative policies. So that's a new path. Now, Moms United started in 2009 uh, because people were asking us, well, how do I get a new path in my area? I'm in San Diego. Um, and I, we did try to do a chapter in Los Angeles for a couple of years, and we, we technically have a chapter in Florida um, with one of our board members, but um, we just didn't have the bandwidth to do chapters. So. I um, came up with the idea of having a collaborative campaign where people who wanted to be involved in this movement uh, to destigmatize and decriminalize people who use drugs, um, and or organizations that are already doing this work that might help other states to do a better job with harm reduction strategies and things like that. So that also, uh, you know, grew by leaps and bounds, and so. Now we have representatives in 35 states, and, and it became an, uh, international when we started doing things with other countries, such as Mexico and Canada and the U.K. Um, so it, that, that was a lot, <laughs> just like the, catching you up to where we are now. And we've, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, change, and, and uh, we can see that we're influencing uh, change in laws and policies, but Boy, there's still so long to go because there's still stigma and there's still drug war mentality um, pushed, of course, by the criminal justice system who is incentivized to um, <laughs> to keep their prisons full. Okay, well, and I'm really happy to hear that this kind of movement is uh, is growing and that you're getting more support. Before we really yeah. before we really get into this, I I have this theory and maybe you just tell me if you agree or disagree and it doesn't matter to me. You just be honest with me. But you know, we I remember in school they used to teach us about the dangers anything as low as marijuana. Oh my god, it's so dangerous, so dangerous. Do you think that maybe some like the Dare program and some of these people are actually responsible when they came out and they basically lied to kids because, mo for the most part, the first drug that people try are marijuana. And then, you know, when, when those words echo back in their mind about how dangerous, you know, pot was, and then they do it for a while and they're like, well, no, I'm not addicted. I'm not having these issues. Well, if they lied to me about this, maybe they lied about the other stuff because they love to call marijuana the gateway drug. But I feel like if they hadn't lied about how dangerous it was and addictive and all these things that maybe they wouldn't have jumped to those next steps because the truth would have been out there. Do you, do you think I'm way off base on that or what do you think? No, I actually totally agree with you. In fact, I just did an 
an interview um, on, on the Red Ribbon Week, which was all part of the, the D.A.R.E. program. And it, and it was very much based, still is being taught in schools, by the way. We haven't been able to get rid of that. But it's very much scare tactics. And what's happening um, with, uh, we know now that they didn't work. And in fact, some of the stats are that if they have, uh, that, that more people that went through the D.A.R.E. program started experimenting um, than, than that didn't. So, I mean, there, it was really problematic in that kids actually know what's going on. They're out there. And so when they hear that kind of thing, it just widens the generational divide. Um, and, and, and in terms of your gateway drug philosophy, we always said uh, it's never been proven that marijuana is a gateway drug or even that alcohol is a gateway drug. But we know that marijuana was the gateway drug to prison. And, and uh, so what, whatever the behavior was that, I mean, people use what's out there um, that's never been proven that, say, if you start smoking marijuana, you're going to move quickly to heroin. Or that if you start, you know, um, drinking alcohol, that you're going to move quickly to methamphetamine. That's there. There is no. Um, uh, it's still a myth, the gateway drug theory. Um, so, it, there there was great harms done by um, pushing scare tactics. If you remember the frying, the the egg frying, and the this is your brain on drugs and all that kind of stuff. It didn't work. It was proven not to work. And if anything, kids would say, well, that's not what I'm seeing. So they're lying. You know, so it, it um, I, I, I guess in a nutshell, I totally agree with you. And I've written articles about it. Awesome. Okay. Well, with that being said, um, because, all right, you know, there's a lot of people out there that love to chime in and say, well, everybody deserves a second chance. You know, everybody deserves a second chance. But when you think about it, if you, if you, especially with some of these uh, minimum mandatory sentences that we have out there, um, when someone goes to prison for, let's say 10 years for possession and it's a felony possession. So they're in, they're in prison for 10 years. It's really hard to give someone a second chance, you know, to, for them to find really gainful employment, and everything else when you've thrown them in a slammer for simply possessing what they consider an illegal substance, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I can tell you this firsthand. I mean, my uh, my son was incarcerated for possession of marijuana in prison while he was behind bars. He learned how to uh, inject heroin. Um, and so, you know, he certainly... Um, he didn't get treatment, but he certainly got drugs, right? Um, and the whole idea of the second chance, when you come out and you've got a felony on your record, so you can't get housing, you can't get a, a, a job because you have to fill in a blank saying that, that you're, you're a felon, all those kinds of things. There's so, so, so many roadblocks to successful reintegration. We're really, we're really destroying lives. I mean, it's not, prisons are, are, are should have been set up um, for people that that are dangerous to society, right? Um, and, and so, a person that's 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 uh, smoking pot or 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 even uh, harder drugs, I would say, um, is really not hurting other people. You know, it's, they're not a menace to society. They might be hurting themselves, hurting their families, but that that part's unintentional. 
Um, and so that a, a criminal justice approach to this is just harmful and it's tearing, it's, it's tearing neighborhoods apart. It's tearing communities of color and poverty apart. Um, because you've got, you've got fathers that are incarcerated now more and more mothers that are incarcerated because of what they put into their body instead of treating them with um, uh, the sense of restorative justice and, and, and compassion. Um, you know, when you say second chance, I, I, we have a huge Narcan distribution program both in uh, San Diego and in um, moms across the nation, you know, giving out Narcan sometimes out of the trunk of their car. One of the moms that I know was was also uh, incarcerated. She was part of the uh, Prop 36. Uh, well, I'll go back to that in a second. But but she she's she uh, had was given Narcan five times in her life to bring her back to life. Now a lot of people said, well, she you know if she didn't get it the first time, then she she deserves to die. I mean, I've really actually heard people say that. And I use her as an example because she's an extraordinary human being. She's now a, she's a mother and a grandmother, and she works to help people with felony records to find jobs in Los Angeles and the heart of you know the problem area. And 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 so I mean she gives she gives back so much, and yet you have people saying, well, you know they only deserve you know one one uh, one second chance, and then after that you know forget about them. Um, no, they're a human being that's struggling with a disorder, and they need help and compassion, and they and they need harm reduction, um, so that they can you know find their way, their way back to a, a, a you know a state of recovery. Um, so, yes, you your point is is well taken. Uh, there are so many roadblocks, and and I, I have to share that. I was the state chairperson for Prop 36 in California, which was the first real drug policy reform, at, at, you know, of the time. And and then other laws started changing, the medical marijuana laws, and 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 then uh, recreational marijuana laws, and and uh, you know the crack cocaine disparity things. But it, this was back in 2000, uh, and. Um, Interestingly enough, my son, who had a felony for possession of pot, then later I was one of the three signers in California of Prop 64, which uh, which legalized and regulated marijuana. So he was able to get his record expunged. But you know, it's it's it, it's laughable that what what disrupted his life for ten years today would not have been anything but an infraction yeah so you know we make we make some progress right but we also take two steps back yeah it's unfortunate and you know when we talk about what you were mentioning earlier like oh they should have got one shot of it and then clearly those people probably never had anybody close to them with an addiction problem or they more than likely i would hope that they wouldn't feel that way it's it's easy to feel that way for some people when they haven't been affected by it maybe so personally, whether maybe right. it's one of their children or a, or a, you know, a, a sibling or parents or something like that. It's real easy to, it shouldn't be that easy to write people off because they have some kind of medical problem. But man, right. you know, when it doesn't affect people, we have a problem in this country. We're like, ah, oh, well, it doesn't affect me, so who cares? 
and we've got to do a little better than that. Um, I guess the next thing I want to talk to you about, because we could go in a, uh, just a variety of directions, but after seeing uh, the video on Moms United, and folks, check out momsunited.net, and then right at the top of the page, there'll be another link to a new path, another website. So go check out momsunited.net, and then also check out a new path. Um, but I noticed the video uh, from Florida where there was a, I guess, some kind of like a uh, seminar on how to administer Narcan and educate people on doing that. Um, can you tell people a little bit about that and, and some of the things, and maybe some of the places you've done these seminars and how much work you've done to, uh, to you know, to get Narcan out into the community and then also educating people on its use? Sure, I'm happy to do that. The um, yeah, it's Florida and, and 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 everywhere actually. That 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 video. That's part of our Ask Mom How to Save a Life campaign. And um, in in California in 2014, I testified to have Narcan, which is uh, naloxone. Um, it's a safe drug that can quickly reverse an an opioid overdose. And I realized that it's so safe, so safe a drug. Nobody's, uh, you know, if you, if if you were, if you think somebody's overdosing on on a narcotic and they're not, it, it would be like giving them water. It, it, so it's, it's sort of foolproof. But if they do have opioids in their system, it'll save their life. So I was like, why, as, as a mother who knows that my children, my sons have a, a disorder, disease, if you will, that could kill them, why would I not have the antidote in, in my medicine cabinet, just, you know, like any other um, uh, important medication uh, to save your child's life, right? So I testified, and it took two years, and it passed, where organizations like ours could have um, Narcan under the uh, standing order from a, a local physician. And this was back in 2014. Started out, we were just going to be um, doing trainings and and um, giving it out to parents. Um, and then after that, we we it, it expanded to you know uh, civic groups. Um, we trained the probation sheriff's department. We trained um, sober living homes, residential treatment programs. I mean, it just totally expanded. And then we started doing outreach to. Um, at-risk communities, um, uh, 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 unsheltered communities, um, and then uh, most recently um, to youth, where we've done reach, outreach uh, to youth because it should be in uh, kids are dying in school bathrooms. They should know about it and should carry Narcan as well. Uh, every step, you know, met with some resistance, but as the opioid crisis grows and grows, um, it's it's very much needed, and um, so we say that everybody on the planet should be carrying Narcan at this point. Um, so I think the video that you saw from Julia was that uh, we took parents from different areas saying, um, this is why you should carry, this is why I'm part of the Ask Mom How to Save Life campaign. Um, as a kind of an educational uh, video and, and um, you know, advocacy for harm reduction strategies and the harm reduction strategies would include uh, uh, clean syringe exchanges it includes uh, certainly Narcan distribution uh, medication assisted treatment 
um, basically meeting the person where they are and treating them like a human being to, and then trying to help them to find their way towards a better, uh, more fulfilling life um, and not defining what recovery means to them but allowing them to ha- be empowered to, to, to find what what their happier life and more um, what their life would look like in terms of their own recovery. Um, so um, it's it's quite widespread. As you know, now uh, uh, one person dies every five minutes of an opioid overdose in the United States. These, the numbers are astronomical, and it's happening in every neighborhood all across the country. Um, and so, you know, taking the approach that we must save lives. Bottom line, people can't recover if they're dead. <laughs> They can't find recovery. They can't find treatment uh, resources if, if they're dead. So we need to save their lives and then work on trying to help them to find uh, a more fulfilling and sustainable future. Absolutely. Now, uh, I've got a question from a live stream viewer. Before I do that, uh, folks here in Missouri, if you are unaware, if you see someone, have you know, if, if somebody you know is in a, you know, in the stages of overdose, and you call for medical assistance or whatever. Do not run away after you've reported it or whatever because we have good Samaritan laws here in the state of Missouri. If you're trying to save their life, you are not going to get in trouble. So stick around for that person if you can until help arrives. But don't run away because of good Samaritan laws. Somebody wants to know, um, is the, you know what's the opposition to making Narcan uh, readily available for public use, or is it available for the public to use uh, today? It, it's pretty much available now, uh, but, you know, organizations like ours, we get grants so that we can give it away for free because, you know, in the very beginning, of course, we were trying to fundraise to do it ourselves. And as the opioid uh, overdose crisis grew and grew and there be, became more awareness on a federal level, uh, you know, they uh, they started advocating for harm reduction strategies, including Narcan and Good Samaritan laws. And and thank you for mentioning them. They um, they're they're different in every state, unfortunately, but it does give you the uh, kind of coverage to to call. Uh, there was far too many people being sort of left to to die out of fear if they were in the room where somebody was using that they would be arrested themselves. And so. Um, but we have to really watch those Good Samaritan laws because right now some of them in some states are being decimated because of drug-induced homicide laws where they're trying to, to charge the, 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 the dealer with murder. And unfortunately, what we all know as parents and family members is that um, it, it, the drug trade is very transactional. The, the boogeyman are very few cartels and things like that. Most of the trade is done. Let me just put it this way. Both of my sons, their drug of choice was heroin. On any given day, one could have been the dealer and one could have been the buyer because they, and the next day, flip. So would I have wanted one of my sons to be charged with murder if the other overdosed? I mean, no, that's, a, that, that's, that's, that's terrible. And, and oftentimes that, we're seeing that happen with families. Um, and friends, you know, a, a, a couple is using together and um, he overdoses and she's charged with murder. And and so 
what's happening with the uh, the Good Samaritan laws is they're losing their power because the DEA is sweeping in and charging the the partner with with murder. Um, it, it's a really dangerous time right now. Um, since fentanyl uh, and and words matter, instead of calling a fentanyl overdose, they're saying it's 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 a poisoning. Well, a poisoning means that somebody's trying to do something to somebody else. So, in other words, the dealer then was, would be poisoning the buyer and murdering the buyer. But the truth is, what, why would a, a dealer want to kill off his clients? I mean, there's a, an obvious disincentivation. To, yeah, I can't even say the word now. But uh, to do so, right? Um, so there's, uh, we're really seeing some backlash to some of the the, the more forward-thinking policies um, that include, you know, harm reduction strategies. Um, so in some states, I have to warn people that I'm not sure how strong your Good Samaritan law is, and I really don't know about Missouri. But I know that in Colorado, um, it's pretty much been decimated. Well, we'll have to check into that. I'll have to look into that. That'd be good, uh, something good to report on or... Um... And we've got a we've got a viewer uh, looking up lo- looking into it right now. And okay. well, our one our uh, Missouri Constitution expert said uh, good Samaritan laws in Missouri aren't that protective. Um, and I had I've lost my train of thought, Dad Gummit. Oh, um, yeah, on the the whole, it feels like and Gretchen, you can um, I'm gonna say this and you can tell me if you agree or not, but it feels like. We're moving back towards um, with this, you know, the the fentanyl issue. It seems like we're moving back to the same train of thought um, that we had in the '80s with the crack cocaine uh, explosion, and here in the, here in America, where we're going, the, the government's going to go full tilt in prosecuting and putting people in jail for de- you know 25 years with these minimum minimum mandatory sentences, and it. In, in the 80s, that didn't do any good. It did, it did nothing because of the amount of money these people could make off selling and the amount of people that were using, it didn't really do any good. They just took a lot of people and put them in prison for victimless crimes. If they Now, if, if a dealer murders somebody with a gun, he steals somebody else's stuff, that's one thing. But if he's strictly handing out and people are going to disagree with me, I know they will, and that's fine, but... If somebody asks for the drug and you sell it to them for twenty five bucks or whatever, and they and then they move on and do what do whatever they do with that, that is on the person that made the transaction that bought the drugs. But I feel like yeah. we're moving right back into the Reagan days of the eighties, where we're going to get tough on crime. We're going to get we're going to create these really really tough strict gun or uh, drug crimes and drug laws, and we're going to go right back to having worse than what we have now with the amount of the population and prisons in there for victimless or nonviolent offenses. Yeah, I think, and this is something that we're discussing a lot. I was just at the Drug Policy Alliance Reform Conference, and I was on a panel about the drug-induced homicide laws and why why we as parents um, uh, uh, are kind of horrified by them and why we don't want them. The problem is... We've got the DEA, and this is this is known to be happening. 
will swoop in and create victim rights groups. So he's got a parent, a mom, say, that has just lost a child to a fentanyl overdose. So the DEA is sweeping in and, and, and saying, hey, um, please be a part of our victims' rights groups and we'll, we'll, we'll fight for you and we'll find, you know, retribution for this. And, and it feels like, you know, that they're just kind of sewing this thing that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, um, and we'll organize you. They've had two summits already where they give them talking points. My kid was not an addict. My kid was a good kid. And somebody, he, he has the experimented or somebody poisoned him. That person should be charged with murder. And you've got, you've got parents in the very early stages of grief that are being sold this philosophy that um, that that if they if they go after revenge or retribution, that somehow it's going to help. And and what it does is it, it's really sweeping us further backwards into drug more uh, mentality. It's a thorny issue. It's 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 something that we're working on talking points about. Um, and uh, it, but I does feel like a big step backwards in 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 terms of you know, the mandatory minimums and, um, and uh, you just returning, but you know, it's why it's because, um, the criminal justice system, mass incarceration, this is, this is money. This, there's a lot of money in this and they have to fill their prisons and they have to, you know, have a reason to, <laughs> to have their jobs. And so they're, they're very well organized and, uh, in, in, so, so what we're countering this with is revenge and retribution doesn't work. Compassion, tolerance, and, um, y- you know, uh, harm reduction strategies do. And, um, and, we, and, and gathering parents who have lost their children to an overdose um, to, to just talk about compassion and restoration um, to counter those messages that are promoted by the DEA. Yeah, because, I mean, of course, you know, someone who's just lost a loved one to, you know, a drug overdose, those that's easy pickings to get them to, you know, ask for the DEA to step up and to create, you know, again, more uh, harsh drug penalties and all these other. It's real easy to right. pick targets like that. You know, you give them a few months to uh, to get through it, and they may feel differently. But, yeah, right afterwards, of course— they're they're angry that they lost someone close to them, and they're more apt yeah. to say, "Oh yeah, go after and get them," because they're not they're not thinking clearly about what that entails afterwards. Because again, what what we've seen throughout the years, uh, when there's a a certain drug explodes in the market, that the you know law enforcement and these politicians get all antsy because they want to look like they're doing something. And literally all they do is they ruin a lot more lives. It seems, though, it seems as though when they they make these drugs, they put them at the top of the hit list, that I think what it kind of does is it drives the, the price up in the drug market. It almost is enticing to people who would be in that trade anyway to sell more of it because with with the the harsh penalties and everything else and all the scrutiny, it drives costs up. And, and these guys are just going to make a lot more money. At the end of the day, again, you're throwing not a lot of a lot more nonviolent 
uh, offenders into prison, you're throwing a lot of lives away, or you're throwing some of these people for simple possession, and you're putting them in the cage for X number of years simply for making a bad life decision that, you know, at the bottom line, again, like you stated earlier, the only person they're hurting is themselves. And, I mean, they're damaging their own body. It, it's, you know, it's harming. It could harm the family fabric. People are upset because they see a loved one going down this path. And it can tear families apart. But the only person that could die from this is the person that's using. And uh, you take, I heard this, uh, I heard this quote a long time ago, Gretchen. Uh, somebody else was being interviewed by some friends of mine. And they were talking about, you know, you put a nonviolent offender in prison and they say that, you know, uh, prisons make good people bad and bad people worse. And I yeah. think I think that's really true. I think it's true, too. And then and then and that, you know, I know when my son was uh, behind bars, he in order to survive, he had to learn how to kind of walk the walk and talk the talk. Right. I mean, it's it's a, it's a dangerous place to be. It's a cold, concrete you know, barbed wire, uh, dangerous, uh, violent place. And you, you know, that's not a good, uh, to put a wall up uh, around your emotions, but that's what you have to do. It puts you further away from, you know, the receptivity to treatment and recovery. And of course, there's none of those resources there anyway. Um, then they come out more troubled and, um, and then again, more difficult to, to, to reintegrate, and especially when we've been taught so long to do tough love. I've heard that people don't pick your child up when they come back from, from jail, that, you know, let them you'll learn the hard knocks. Well, how the hell are they going to do that? You know, there's, they can't get a job, can't get a housing, don't have food. I mean, what, how are they going to, how are they going to reenter successfully? So um, it's all sort of stacked against them. The, the problem with all of this is that putting more money into the criminal justice system, as you say, diverts funds away from what, the resources that we need so desperately. The reason the Portugal um, uh, decriminalization worked was they took the funds from the criminal justice and put it into a system of care so that they did have um, the ability to to help people, and that's why their stats were so good in terms of uh, reduction of hep C overdoses and HIV, et cetera, because the resources were there. We need resources that we don't have to, to, to deal with, with the problems of drug use and addiction. The other part of this that I wanted to say is that, um, you, you know, this new group of moms who say, I didn't even know my kid was on drugs. He wasn't on drugs. He wasn't a street addict, quote unquote, another label to throw at the bad kids. But it's creating this division, this othering, like your kid is a bad kid. My kid was a good kid. You know, my that, that kind of thing. So in terms of taking a step backwards, I mean, listening to you, I mean, the, the, the stigma that it's creating and, and the othering and the fragment. Uh, fragmentation of, of uh, different schools of thought and different is, is, is really, really destructive. You know, I, I go back to something that I think is interesting and I tell people all the time. Um, my son was born in 1971 and, um, and that was the same year that, 
that President Nixon declared the war on drugs, right? Oh. And little did any of us know then that this war was going to be a war not waged against drugs. It's, war, it's a war waged against people. And it's a war waged against particularly people of color and people of poverty. And, you know, in, so it's been going on since 1971 and to the tune of trillions of dollars and, and, and no success and, and absolutely mass incarceration. I mean, so we've built up this booming prison industrial complex, right? And, um, you know, so it's, it, it's a lot to go up against, right? It is. Um, you know, offhand, I you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you have um, do you have any sti- uh, you know statistics off the top of your head on on Portugal, like what kind of reduction they saw in uh, overdose deaths or any of that any of that information like that off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, I don't I don't carry stats. I'm not a numbers person. <laughs> I have to kind of memorize them. But, but I but I do know because I was able to go to Portugal as a on a group of drug reform um, kind of activists uh, about four years ago now. I think it was, and um, and we got to talk to the people that set it up, and that's how I know that that part of their success was that before they they, they had a big they had a big drug problem. They had an overdose problem. And so they, uh, and as you said, once it gets, you know, to your own family, it's a little bit different. When you, when you experience these things firsthand, then you say, oh, maybe we better do something about it because it's not just them, it's, it's us. And so they, they were able to set up a, a huge system of care. Um, you know, they, they had created the Dissuasion Commission um, so that people wouldn't be arrested if they were using, but they would be, they would come in and meet with a, um, uh, a core of people who would say, uh, would you like to change your life? And, and, and here's this resources. And, and, and basically they set up a, a system of treatment on demand. It wasn't mandated, but if you want treatment, you're going to get it and you're going to get it now. And, um, it, it, so it, 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 that, that was a huge part of the success. And I understand that recently, they have their funding has diminished, and and so I don't know. I I've heard that some of the numbers are slipping, but at the time that this happened, I know that they greatly reduced um, the cases of, of Hep C and HIV. So, in just in terms of public health, um, it, it, it was better. The other thing was that there was no no greater drug use. They thought some people said, "Oh, well, people would just be using all the time." No, there was not an increase in drug use. And uh, but there was a huge increase of people who were able to to access resources and find recovery. Um, the other thing that dropped just uh, totally uh, 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 to under under you know two digits was overdoses. So so I mean I think it's a huge example that of how decriminalization of drugs can 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 really serve the people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know. Again, as we were talking on the phone before we started, the main argument that I hear, I've heard from so many people, I've heard it from politicians and just everyday people alike, is, oh, man, if you if you uh, legalize everything like Ron Paul talked about, and I love, during the presidential debates, uh, I think it was 2012, they asked him about it, and he's like, you know, just because we legalize heroin tomorrow, he's like, 
How many people are, are, you know, are out there in a crowd like, oh, man, I can't wait to do heroin? It's a ridiculous <laughs> notion. If you're not going to yeah. do it now, after it's legalized, you won't do it either. But I, I just hear, oh, the cartels are going to just take over. And it's like, if you take all the money out of it because you've legalized it and you've basically, I mean, the prices are going to go, anything that's regulated, prices always go up. If you deregulate it, prices go down. And we've seen, in, again, in Amsterdam, Portugal, the effects that decriminalization has had. And we have a lot of politicians lying to us. And we have a lot of, there's a lot of folks out there lying to themselves by saying, oh, we have to continue this. When I was talking to somebody about civil asset forfeiture, uh, let's just take that as an example. Now, here in Missouri, they don't really have to list how that money is being used by the law enforcement agencies. And he said, pretty sure, or we have to sunshine request, but pretty sure that some of these police departments may be the officers themselves are using the money for personal things because they don't have to rectify how the equitable sharing funds, how they're using those funds. It's, it's not tracked in a normal way from what he told me like they would do their budget. So that just incentivizes bad behavior. Now, this is not me saying that all cops are bad or all law enforcement's bad, but we did see when they started civil asset forfeiture um, in the book Dark Alliance from Gary Webb, they, you know, he, he kind of went into detail about how bad it got because, oh, we can arrest somebody. Not they're not even proven guilty in a court of law yet, and we're taking all their cars, we're taking their house, we're taking all their money. There was a lot of looting going on by law enforcement, and that's I'm kind of afraid we may go back to that because of this whole fentanyl thing. They're going to go way overboard. We may I, I'm hoping we don't see less restrictions on civil asset forfeiture, where like you haven't even been found guilty in a court of law, and they're taking all your stuff. And more that's just morally and constitutionally, uh, well, horrific. And it's wrong. Yeah. But. And, it, you know, it really incentivizes corruption on them. And you're right. Not, not all police, sheriff, uh, they're, not, they're not all bad people. There's a lot of really good people. But, but certainly with a civil um, asset forfeiture, it really incentivizes corruption. You know, the. Uh, the and, you know, money talks and, you know, I could I just say something about the cartels because we always, you know, thought, well, we have to go. I don't mean, I don't mean to go after the, you know, the drug users that's an occasional seller. I mean, the big guys, the big guys, they're always like, who are these big guys? And so they come back to the cartels. Okay. Um, but, but when you spend all your resources going after the cartels and going after the supply side rather than the demand side, um, you know, the cartels, it's like a big game of whack-a-mole. You know, you, you, you hit one down and then another cartel pops up and, and it just, and actually it becomes more dangerous in Latin American countries because then the cartels are having wars for, you know, for their, their predominant position, you know, uh, a position of power. So it, it just, to me, I, I don't want to see my tax dollars going to something like that when we need an in, 
a Karen's infrastructure. We we need treatment on demand, and we're far from treatment on demand. And I'm not trying to push treatment over overall recovery because not everybody needs treatment, but everybody needs recovery support services, right? So um, I just I don't want the money to to continue to build up towards a a, a war that cannot be won. Yeah, I I. I wholeheartedly agree with you there because, uh, it, you know, unfortunately, um, a lot of times when you when when this is done, the uh, the way it's done, when politicians get involved, and um, it, I think again we we look at we look at the outcome, or we look at the. What the law is based on instead of the outcome, we don't. We don't. Uh, we we bring. You know, we they they write these laws. They pass them through the houses and the senates and everything else. The governors sign them, and it's all based on intent and not outcome. And people really have to get their heads wrapped around that. And that's with any law, but especially on something that deals with victimless crimes or anything like that. We we've got to we we. We let we gotta stop letting emotions overrule our ability to critically think and use some logic to say how is this how is putting more nonviolent victimless offenders in prison in, in the long run you know what is this gonna do because again of the past history of prohibition the past history uh, even back in alcohol you know with alcohol which created mafias and really funded the mafias well. Maybe we should look at the prohibition of alcohol the same way we look at the prohibition of illicit drugs just because we seem to be funding. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like we're giving more funds to cartels through prohibition than what we would otherwise if these things were legalized. Just like now, of course, the mafia stuck around for a while, but prohibition was really a boom era for the mafia in New York, Chicago, and all across the country. And I feel like Mm -hmm. prohibition on drugs is creating a different kind of mafia. And these guys are way more uh, murderous than the original mafia because these people just, they'll kill anybody that gets in their way. So I feel like maybe, you know, just maybe, I don't know, maybe our laws have created more problems than they've solved. Wouldn't it be nice if we actually learned from history? <laughs> you know, when you were talking about the, the prohibition, the alcohol prohibition, I, I, you know, full disclosure, it was a group of mothers that pushed for prohibition in the 30s in the beginning, right? But it was also mothers that, 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 that wanted to end prohibition and were able to accomplish ending prohibition because they saw that, that the violence and, the, and, and, and what had been created by prohibition and, and deaths because of bathtub gin and things an unclean drug supply if you will or alcohol supply so when i started moms united to end the war on drugs i was at a conference and i saw the poster from the 30s with the, the mom holding her hand out and holding her children to her chest and saying you know the end prohibition and that's kind of what gave me the oh okay i don't need to start a a new chapter or a new group i'm just you know i will gather people together to end prohibition of drugs, you know, uh, just like l- they did in the 30s. 
and um, for the same reason, because uh, of the acceleration of, of violence and the acceleration of loss of life to unsafe drug supply, the, 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 the loss uh, because of the stigma of, of, um, of making this a criminal justice issue rather than a public health issue, and et cetera. So, um, yeah, it, it, again, it'd be nice if we learned from history, but uh, we just seem to go in cycles, and that's what can keep you up at night and just frustrated. <laughs> that- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Um, okay, so I didn't know how long you had tonight to, to stick w- around with me, Gretchen. Are you on a time crunch or no? Or Oh, I have about five minutes left, yeah. Okay, okay. So I guess with these last five minutes, um, is there something really important that we haven't touched on yet that you would like to talk about with uh, the last five minutes you've got here with me? Um, well, I'd love to hear if there's any any questions. You know, it's, I've, again, I've been doing this for so many years, and, and I have to kind of laugh that when my two co-founders, um, when I started this, it was really just I wanted, you know, I wanted people stop incarcerating nonviolent drug offenders, but I learned so much. I don't even like the word mandate anymore. Um, but, but the, but one of my co-founders said, well, we accomplished what we set out to do. Yay us. And he, he, you know, went back to his private life and I was, Oh my God, no, there's so much more we need to do. The more I learn, the more I realize all of the inequities and, the, um, and, and how, uh, I, I learn about, you know, how stigma can, um, uh, has so many layers, you know, it runs through the, not just criminal justice, but society in general. It, it runs even through um, the recovery program, uh, uh, you know, you are abstinence only and you use um, methadone. And, and, you know, I mean, it just, it just seemed like there was so much more work to do. And one of the things that I also started realizing is that, you know, as a mother, I was willing to do anything, putting my kids, sell my, you know, uh, uh, refinance my house to pay for treatment. I would do anything to keep my kids alive, right? Um, and so, so it was, it was all kind of a learning process, and, and, um, and I don't feel badly about anything that I did. But some of the bad advice that I got, because nobody seemed to really know much about addiction was um, to to stop enabling. I was called a codependent. I you know um, I I was told you know just lock the door on my on my teenager right. I mean like, no no you can't do that. You know you you as a parent you can't just lock your kid out because they're using drugs. But but that the whole idea of tough love enabling and codependency when I looked into it further was not based on fact or science. It's a myth. It was an easy um, easy label that doctors could give to make, make you, I guess, feel better um, about yourself. So one of our campaigns is, um, tough, is true love, not tough love, uh, debunking that philosophy and saying, take back your, um, your, your right to parent in the best way that you can because you love your child and nobody knows your situation the way you know it. Nobody knows your family dynamics. Nobody knows what... what. I always tell parents, take care of yourself because if you 
don't take care of yourself and you allow yourself to kind of ride the roller coaster ride of drama and trauma with your child, then you won't be there when they do need you. So take care of yourself and, and define what that means to you. You know, like if you have to kick your kid out, have a, have a, a rehab nearby, have a, have a sober living, have alternatives that work for you. Um, certainly don't be there if your child is violent and, and, and you have no support. Uh, but, but only you know the answer to that. So take back your intrinsic and basic right to nurture in the best way you possibly can as a parent. Absol- so I guess that's my last word. <laughs> well, Gretchen, I really, I really appreciate you joining me tonight. And uh, so if you would just give out your websites again. And uh, so people can learn more about you. Maybe, maybe we'll find some volunteers in the audience to help out, spread the message. But what are the websites that you would direct people to? Thank you. So they're, and they, they, as you said, they connect to one another. So one is a new org and the other is momsunited.net. And you, you can see all the kind of camp, the campaigns we do uh, for, on the moms United site. Um, but again, they're, they're interactive sites. So you can go from one to another and thank you so much for that. We also have a, uh, Moms United YouTube channel where our, our videos are, so you can find us there too. Awesome, well, Gretchen, great work. I I really appreciate what you do, and again, I really appreciate you coming on with me. And if you'd like, I will um, I will send you a link to the YouTube video of this if you want to put it out there for anybody in your group. Uh, so oh, I love that. Thank okay. You. But you have a great weekend. Keep up the great work, Gretchen, and uh, maybe maybe look forward to having you on again uh, sometime in, in the not-too-distant future. That sounds great. Thank you. Right. Uh, take care and have a great evening. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Gretchen Bergman from Moms United Against the War on Drugs and A New Path. Uh, that I really enjoyed talking to her. Um, it's nice to know that we have these people out here, and it's nice to know that that type of movement is growing here in the United States. And um, I'm, it makes me happy because we have a tendency in this country, whether it's with drug addicts or babies in the womb, to, uh, to throw human life away, to treat it as trash. And we've got, if we want to live in a civilized society, that type of thinking has to go. We have to, we have to rid ourselves of that type of a mentality that we can just easily throw people away because they're not living the lifestyle that we would want. Or, oh, we created this baby, who gives a crap? Let's get rid of it. Just throwing away human life because it's, it's not... Um, uh, it, it's it's inconvenient or maybe because we have to look at it and recognize there's a problem and that maybe we're part of the solution. We, we can't be bothered. All right. For those of you in the KEYK audience, thanks so much for joining me this week. Next week, I'll be joined by Sam and Trish Britton from Missouri Liberty Radio to talk about smart meters. Also, if you'd like to hear about Dean Plocker, please check out Missouri Liberty Report Plus. You can find that on just about any podcasting app because we're going to take a deep dive now into Scott Fawn's um, 
interview with Dean Plocker. So thanks again, everybody, down at the Lake of the Ozarks. Appreciate all the support. We'll see you all next week. All right, so let's get into this uh, Scott Fawn, Dean Plocker interview. And uh, uh, if you've had anything to eat, get your puke buckets out because you're going to hear fawning and a lot of excuse-making. And you're going to hear the word, we, we, we should make a drinking game for the word transparent right now from Dean Plocker. Every time Dean Plocker says transparent, you throw back a shot. And um, then we'll get to hear all about George Soros and, and liberal money and all that other stuff. So let's kick this off. And then, uh, yeah, again, prepare your puke buckets for the Plocker and Scott Fawn love affair. About House Speaker Dean Plocker. You've heard it from uh, some left wing uh, websites. You've heard it from disgruntled staffers. Now, let me just jump right right in and bring in the Speaker of the Missouri House of Representatives, Dean Plocker. Great speaker, to be on, Scott. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Let's just jump right in here. I know you've got a limited amount of time, but uh, it seems like the, uh, the, this, the controversy started when you were looking at upgrading essentially how members, if, uh, if a person from Sedalia calls Brad Pollitt, says they got a problem with DNR. They track that and try to get back to them, answer their questions, follow up with them. This, the software system to do that, you thought needed an upgrade, right? Well, you know, over the years, many members, former reps, former speakers, in fact, have suggested that it needed upgrading. Um, this most recent time that it happened, I referred it to the administration. administration. Lie number one. <laughs> Lie number one. They had a meeting. None of the reps seemed to have an issue with the current constituent management software let's keep going in an accounts committee which was the right committee to refer it to and let them decide so you know to me you know when you read something i don't care who you are i don't care what news you're watching you watch this show you're going to get a filter of certain biases it seemed like this started off as like some sort of controversy and i'm like this is my own white trash hillbilly observation i mean there's nothing wrong with discussing whether you could upgrade that system right i mean there's nothing inherently wrong about that not inherently whatsoever. In fact, I followed the correct process, the process and the role of the speaker. I referred it to the right committee for a transparent hearing so that the members can decide. And that's what this house is all about, for the members to decide what's best for the state. I've actually worked in the house. A lot of folks watching this are familiar with the house processes. It seems like the uh, chief clerk of the house had a, had a role in this. Typically, when you're looking at something like this, what is the role of the chief clerk? Well, in this particular case, I would say that it's advisory. Yeah. So uh, th this is where, the to me, this is just my own hillbilly horse sense, kind of looking into a situation. And maybe the first time I smelled something might be up is it seemed like right in the first of this, the Missouri Independent got involved. Uh, and, and, you know, I'll just tell you, word here on High Street, I mean, obviously, look, I don't have a beef with Independent does, but let's be candid. They are funded by left-wing interest groups to put out left-wing news and you're you're not left-wing so you're the problem uh it seemed like right away they were tipped off and let me just ask you do you believe the missouri independent the the democrat left-wing news operation was tipped off by a member of your staff about this situation to make it look controversial you know i think scott I, i'd love to know exactly i don't know if i'll ever know but what i do know is the one fact that this happened I turned the reimbursement check in. Okay. I turned it into administration. Hold on. We're talking about the constituent management thing. Oh. Uh, it seemed like right away when this constituent management thing came up, 
there were all these uh, uh, off-the-record sources, which, look, you're gonna, if you're going to do a lot of journalism, you're going to get some off-the-record sources. It seemed like right away the Independent was right in the middle of whether you should upgrade this, casting it as some nefarious thing you were doing. Do you think that someone you know, on the House staff worked with the Democrats to have a, a politically hurtful news story about this contact management software? You know, I think there's some unique circumstantial evidence that will hopefully reveal itself over due time. But there's a lot of commonality with what's going on as I'm repeatedly attacked by the same George Soros funded media that's incredibly biased and really not telling the whole story. All right. I got to stop there. OK, because one simple fact is, is there a George Soros, George Soros funded media out there and politicians and um you know, prosecutors and all that. Of course there is. But now we're going to use that to just discredit the this whole thing. We're just saying it's George Soros funded, dark liberal money funded media that's just picking on poor old Plocker. And um, I, I again, yes, there's there's dark liberal money funded media out there. There's dark. There's Soros-funded media out there. But this is too easy of a throwaway for these guys. They're just going to say that, and they're going to keep throwing these words out because um, it's easy for them to do. And Casey Rich makes a good point. George Soros going after the most corrupt politician in Missouri? Get out of here. They kind of got a point. I'm sure Soros would much rather work with a Dean Plocker than with, let's say, a Tony Lavasco or a, or an Eigel or a Moon or somebody like that. So, uh, just I had to I had to stop there because this is just just completely dumb. Well, let me just ask you this. I mean, I, again, I could tell you what folks are saying at Grand Cafe or Coffee Zone, but the gist of it is that. Frankly, some staff have, like we all have, some folks we're more friends with than others. Let me just ask you the question. If this contact management software company had retained a different lobbyist, do you think that some members of your staff would have been as quick to run to the independent and make this seem nefarious? I don't know, but what's weird is that... Well, I'll just tell you, I don't think they would have. Yeah, you know, it's circumstantial, and I think sometimes when when it continues to be so circumstantial, it smells funny. Is what sure. it is. Well, it's also the it's the uh, I don't think the independent was pulled out of a hat. I mean, they didn't call Brandon Rather, right? They called the independent, right? So I mean, it is it kind of is what it kind of is. Uh, they they knew what um uh they knew what uh they knew what I think they knew what they were doing. But now let me just ask you this: after seeing some of the stuff you've seen, Governor Parson tried to come out and warn folks about the independent. He did. Looking back, we're all, we're all geniuses looking back 50-50. It's like, it's like an opinion from 10 beers ago. It's always a little sharper, right? Or a little 10 beers later. Do you think you should have uh, maybe listened to Governor Parson when he gives the warnings first about this political operation the Missouri Independent is? I, I clearly do. In fact, I, I sent a letter to the caucus outlining my concerns for this, this, this anything but independent uh, group. Um, I actually called Governor Parson and apologized for not heeding his advice more sternly. Um, and I suggest everybody else do as well. Learning from example. So let me ask this. Ultimately, the accounts committee headed by Dale Wright, a, a lead belt guy, a, a good old boy, 
they decided for whatever reason they weren't going to go forward and buy this software. I mean, I assume you probably disagree, but I mean, are you comfortable with that being the last word on it? Absolutely. In, in fact, Scott, I never formed a, an opinion one way or the other over this constituent management. I sent it to committee, let the committee hear the good, the bad and the ugly, figure it out. It, they did their job. They had their hearing. It's you know, that's the role of the process that the House of Representatives is supposed to use when vetting what we are doing for the state of Missouri. By the way, I got to thank my buddy Chip from Lake St. Louis. He, he tells me that's a town that's not St. Louis. I, I, I just think he's delusional, but I appreciate this. It's a, he, he lives a lake life, which that lake is, is kind of like a, we call that a big pond back home, but I appreciate the Stein. So I, uh, I heard the FBI was looking into this and, and listen, I, I almost have a, I hear probably twice a day. Somebody tells me the FBI is investigating something. So I, I'm just a skeptical hillbilly. I just kind of don't always buy in to when people say that but i did i went i read this and i read it enough places that i thought okay so i know some of the doormen good good fellas i asked yeah was there any old boy you didn't know no i asked some members of the committee hey was there somebody here you didn't see that might have been from the fbi i mean fbi guys that i know look like fbi guys they're all well they look like you they're very fit they're always wearing a suit they look pretty official they don't look like me they don't look like kelton uh so i i asked around did anybody see anybody in that room that wasn't uh th that you didn't know not one person I could find said they saw somebody they didn't know. I guess the, the question, and maybe I've got an, my opinion is, this was just some propaganda made up to feed to the independent. Am I wrong? I believe it's the oldest trick in the book to assert that the FBI is involved in something because anytime you call the FBI, they will neither confirm nor deny. And but I don't I act too. like I know they weren't there. I don't act like I know they're not investigating anything. They could be investigating anyone anytime for all I know. They Absolutely. could be investigating Kelton's illegal gambling uh racket that he set up and if the fbi is watching it was all kelton's idea it was all his fault i'd like to be one of trump's lawyers not trump but but i it just seems to me like it, i mean we sorry about that we're uh we're getting uh i got a call coming in i didn't mute that um i mean so anyhow let me ask you this i've always i saw you come in hard on one thing last year it was ip reform Yes. And for those of you, we may have a little bigger audience today. Uh, it's called initiative petition reform. It's where if the legislature won't do something, they go get signatures and they put it on the ballot and the people vote. Been very successful for a lot of progressive or more liberal causes. And look, you know me, if, if the folks want something, I, I think the folks already get what they want. You have been very stringent about changing this. The same people that fund the independent are East Coast, very liberal groups. The same people that fund these IP reform changes are East Coast, very liberal groups. Do you think you're being targeted by them because you're trying to change their honey hole? Dry yeah, up. All right, got to stop it there. When in 2022, they tried jamming through the most god awful IP reform bill that only would have allowed it, or only would have allowed big money organizations to get their stuff done. He he would have if it was up to Plocker they would have gotten their wet dream and IP reform. These liberal groups, they'd have been like, Oh my God, all the big money outfits would have had just a gold mine in IP and in different ballot initiatives in this state. Had it been up to Plocker and some of the others in the house. So him being a stringent IP reform. Yeah. IP reform for who you and me or big money people. The Bloombergs and the Soroses and all them. What, the, Missouri would have been a playground for progressive ideas if that bill would have went through and it would have went to on the ballot 
And then, you know, again, because of the crap we have, the crappy system we have right now, it could have been like Amendment 3. 16 counties pass it or 20 counties pass it. We're all stuck with it, right? So, also a lie. Let's let's move on. Circumstances would, would in, clearly indicate. I mean, I've advocated for our constitutional IP reform now for six years. Um, it needs to be addressed. The voters need to be aware of what's on there. There needs to be transparency. I've always advocated for transparency. Be forthright about it. Let us know what you're doing to our Constitution. I think it's more than circumstantial evidence that this George Soros-funded left-wing group has been haunting me now for a long time, and I believe certainly will continue to do so. It's you know I'm a target. When you believe in good policy, when you're standing up for something, sometimes people shoot at you, and that's what's happening. Well, I mean, I guess good policy is always in the eye of the beholder, but it does feel like that when the... I believe if they were going to go after people about IP reform, this guy's not the guy they're going to go after. They're going to have a witch hunt on people who actually want to fix it in the correct way and not this douchebag, okay? Yeah, I said douchebag because he kind of is. We'll call him Mr. Massengill. Whatever you want to call him, I don't care. But... Jeez Louise, there's other things to go after this guy for IP reform and, and progressives or whoever else IP reform and this guy are not it, not it. Independent goes after you, then the Post and the Star, they're kind of just, uh, you know, they're, they're not what they used to be. They grab on and follow suit and here and here and so and and before you know it, the members of the opposition party are, are kind of taking their cue and. It is a bit of a snowball. And look, sometimes I, I don't think this, the, the independent lies. I just think they're going to take something like, should you figure out how Brad Pollock can call that old boy and say, you back easier or not, into something bad. I'm not, I, 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 I don't accuse him of lying. I, I don't frankly, frankly think they do. But the way they couch things is the old bias that, that, from, that started back in the days of Dan Rather and, and it's just gotten bigger. Um, let me just ask you this. Um, You've had some uh, staff change. There's been some talk of a shakeup in the organization of the office. Did that have anything to do with this, this contact management software? Oh. We might have lost him here. Again, I, because they lost connection, they'll, they'll get his dipstick butt back in a second. But, again, they're making it sound like this improves things. For if I call my state rep and I have an issue with DNR or the roads or something, what they're not telling you is your call would go from you to a phone bank in Washington, D.C. That's who's answering the phone. Not your local, not your representative or senator's office. They're L.A. picking up the phone or taking a message and calling you back. No, it's going to a phone bank somewhere. So there's another lie. And we'll listen to him dribble on and get get the blocker back on the line here. Um, my, maybe uh, maybe Mr. Soros maybe Mr. Soros logged in. Some people say yeah, I, you wonder, don't you? Some people I, say I, I knew George Soros. I used to tell him to do that because I like I'm I'm a Republican, so I like rich people. I used to try to foster that for my street cred, but uh, but I can't believe he tried to take out my broadcast here, son of a gun. <laughs> Well, a lot of this is, is you know, in hindsight, you know, you look at this hit, this hit, but I do believe the leftist liberal media has an agenda. They're selling sure. that. They don't tell the story entirety. They, they use innuendos and facades to push their agenda. It's happening to all of us. I'm not the only one. Um, I'm just happen to be in the spotlight right now.
Well, I mean, you've had you there's you've had some staff shake up. There's been some discussion of rearranging some of the organization in the office. Uh, did that have anything to do with this contact uh, management software situation? Not whatsoever. This has been an, an ongoing discussion within my office on how I was going to handle it. it. The timing perhaps was not the best, but not at all. Let me ask you this. So uh, if anybody's read anything, um, folks have been discussing about uh, some expenses that you had, whether they were paid for by your campaign, by the state. It is. Uh, I, I even think to most observers of government, a, a, a touch confusing how that all works. Uh, you know, I've, we've read the liberals version of what happened. Uh, just tell folks in your own words, what happened with this situation? Well, I released a statement to the caucus because I think it's, it's worthy of explaining. And I did, um, we staff, there were some errors made, right? We found the errors. We self-reported, we corrected, we made the reimbursements. I think that's the honest, correct thing to do. Should this have happened? No. And it's embarrassing. I, you know, it's a checkbook error but there's a lot of accounts bouncing around. It's quite tedious. Um, I caught it and I'm grateful that I caught it. I own it. The buck has to stop with me. We reimbursed enough set. So here's the, here's the part I hear ever so often folks on the Capitol bend my ear and I'm, I'm damn grateful for it. But uh, I heard not long after you found this or cut a check or whatever you did and what we're talking a few thousand dollars here, right? Yes. Uh, you were contacted by the independent almost how, how long was it before the democrats contacted you after you had um turned your reimbursement in well you know it's one of those suspicious circumstances again again uh, I okay here's where when I, right before we started this is what i told you the a yeah he he fired uh, his chief of staff and then he went right to Kay, the rodent caleb brown so the guy didn't make it very far this this may be, oh, if he's not in my office anymore, we can, blah, 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 right? If the guy had done something extremely bad and thrown this guy under the bus, he wouldn't be working at the Capitol anymore. He'd be gone. Bye-bye. Nice to know you. See ya. And don't want to be ya, right? The, the Independent sent in a sunshine request, according to Jason Hancock from the Missouri Independent, October the 5th. Then when he found out, he repaid. It wasn't I repaid and came, you know, I I made my amends and was clean and came clean about it. And then the independent did their thing. The independent did their thing. Then he repaid. So here is the mate. You know, this is a big point right here. This this is where things get really shady because he's he's telling a huge lie. Of course, of course he's going to. It's he's going to cover his hind end. But according to Hancock, October 5th is when they filed that sunshine report on the double dipping. And then he I guess caught wind of it. Oh boy, and then he went in and repaid nine times over 5 years. So you're going to hear some, well, you know, everybody makes a mistake nine times in five years. Really? You think? That's just a couple mistakes and we'll just gloss over it and go on, cause with that, which is what this is. Listen, I have said before, before I go on, I have said before to you all that I don't want to direct traffic to Scott Fawn. 
but he did this thing with the Fireside software a couple weeks ago that I covered, and it was like, oh, it's all dark liberal money. You know, Catherine Dreyer and Kirby Lane were really the heads, the the head of this. They they're the ones who really kicked this off, right? And I called him out on it. Now I'm calling him out on this. And before I go any farther, I would ask all the listeners out there, when you see, if you go to YouTube and you just subscribe to This Week in Missouri Politics, I wouldn't normally be this childish, but people need to to troll this guy's channel in a just a massive way. Because, and they, every time he does this, he needs to be called out. Because I did my due diligence. I, ha- I heard both sides of the story. I contacted the paper. They gave me a timeline on things. And I went forward. Because as much as I don't like Plocker, I was not going to put out false information. Even though I don't like the guy. And I think he's awful for liberty in Missouri. And I think he's more progressive way more progressive than he would like to uh, for than he would like for us to know. I still would not want to put out false information because I don't want to lose credibility. At the end of the day, the truth matters. Now, if this was false, even though I don't like Plocker, I would be like, "Hey, this paper's lying. Clearly the timeline's not adding up. People are making things up." It doesn't appear that way, so I'm reporting it this way. Now, if this turns out to be false, I will correct it, and I will apologize. But just because I don't like Plocker doesn't mean I'm going to come on here and make things up to railroading. Okay? That's just the way it is. But clearly, clearly, he's lying. Right now, it appears he's lying. And uh, I think that we should troll Scott Fawn's channel. I really do. And I think people in droves should call him out when he does these little cover-up campaigns for people who appear to be corrupt. And I would want some... If I'm putting out misinformation, if I'm putting out bad information, I would want people to call me out. I would want people to say, hey, John, you're wrong on this. Here's why you're wrong and correct me so then I can, you know, and then I can correct it and we can go on because that's not the type of person I want to be when we're, especially when we're covering things like this that are vitally important to us in Missouri. And that we want truth and liberty to win out. I've spoke my piece. Let's continue on with the, the love boat. I can tell you what I know. I wrote the check. I, as I started to say earlier, I turned it in to house accounts. And within about an hour, I received an email from the independent telling me they were going to do an article on that. So, I mean, I'm somewhat familiar with Sunshine Laws. I've helped. I've, I like to think I have a good relationship with the legislature. I've, I've never, I've never complained. It's taken too long, but boy, uh, an hour a year, you know, you're just damn lucky, right? Uh, there, there's no, 
I'll just tell you, let me, let's just talk hogs, dogs, and logs here. We've known each other a long time. Uh, do you believe that a current or former staffer for the House, after you turn that check in, immediately just notified the Democrats? To hurt All you I'm able to comment on here is what I did, because I know that to be the facts. The facts were I cut a check to reimburse the House, which was the right thing to do, and I turned it in, period. Within an hour, hour and a half, I got an email from the independent. That's what I know. We, we'd call that back home fishy. Uh, so anyhow, let me just ask you this. I, I've been around the house. I've actually think I filled out some expense reports when I worked there. Gosh, you can tell by the, the gray and the, the hair, something you don't have yet, which is very concerning to me and, and kind of pisses me off. But uh, it's been a long time ago, but I turned in some house reports. Uh, other members have contacted me since and said, oh, this is awful. He, he's, a, he's a dirtbag. Others have said, hell, I've had trouble with this before. I've had to read. I've had to do things. Now, they don't have the amount of different accounts a speaker does. But, I mean, it's not totally foreign for somebody to have a, uh, an issue and have to, have to correct their, their house expense reports, is there? Not that I'm aware of. And, and you don't know what it's like to file these reports until you walk in someone's shoes to do. But as a public official, it's my duty, I believe, to check my work. And, and I did that. I did the right thing. I think that's what, and I was transparent about it. And I believe in that. That's what you should expect of me. I would assume there'll be others looking at their reports right now. Uh, give me, give them some advice. I, I would think everybody's now thinking, oh man, I better go back and make sure every jot and tittle's correct. Uh, especially if you're a Republican, I assume. Uh, you know, I would, you learn from, learn from me, right? I went back and found a mistake, found a couple, corrected it. Do, do what you need to do. That's the right thing to do. So a couple, he found a couple. There were nine, nine times in five years. There were nine or eight or nine, a couple. I found a couple. Really? Really? A couple? Come on, bro. Really? Clearly? Again? <laughs> yeah. Patrick says, five years of mistakes on filing expenses. He clearly checks his work. Continuing on with the BS. Oh, the 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 next part of this story was there's a house house ethics committee uh, meeting on Friday. Why are they meeting? I, I'm not able to comment on what the ethics committee is doing. It's not the right thing to do. The ethics committee was appointed. Um, they have a duty. They have a job. I trust that they take it seriously, and I trust that they're going to come to the to the conclusions that they come with in the proper way. Okay. Well, I have an email here. It's a it's addressed to you. Um, dated Friday, October 20th at 3.36 p.m. It is uh, from the chief clerk. Um, it says, please be advised, pursuant to the Missouri House Representatives Ethics Rules Procedure for the 102nd General Assembly and the Rules Procedure of the United States, Con United States House Representatives Committee on the Ethics of 18 118th Congress, I have requested an advisory opinion from the Missouri House Committee on Ethics on my proposed response to inquiry of October 17, 2023. If you'll give me a moment. Um, this was a sunshine request that was, was, it was done promptly, I will say. Uh, but I did file for things I knew was there and it, it came back. I, I thought the, the house staff was very quick, but it sent. Hey, before we go any farther, I just want to make an announcement. I'm going to try, I'm going to try to do a sunshine request on emails between 
Scott Vaughn and Dean Plocker. I told a few other people this today, it would be funny. I don't think anybody's done it, but I'm going to do it. A, I've never filed a sunshine request, but now I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to say, I just need email correspondence between Scott Vaughn from this week in Missouri politics and Dean Plocker. A, I want to know what kind of correspondence they have. If it's email or whatever, I want to see what, how they talk to each other. And, uh, I think it would be funny if somebody told Plocker and Plocker's told Fawn, I'm not doing it for media attention. I'm not. I, I want to do this. And it's for one simple reason. It's the way this is going on. This, this right here. I mean, it's like Scott Fawn's hands are ginormous and he's just covering all of Plocker's butt with it. Both one hand for each cheek, complete coverage, just Spider-Man hands, just black and he's stuck. And he's like, I cover you, but Mr. Plucker. So yeah, there's going to be a sunshine request for emails between Scott Fawn and Dean Plocker. If there's any, and then I'll look at him and see what is said between the two of them. Um, I think that'll be, uh, pretty freaking hilarious. Let's let's continue. Essentially, the emails that, that my sunshine request returned said you'd let someone go and the clerk wanted to continue to pay them. Um, that is a, uh, number one. I, I it, it would strike me as odd. Now, maybe there are procedures I don't know about that if uh, if a member lets their a staff person go or that person leaves, the clerk wouldn't have a reason to pay them for work they're not doing. But number two. I guess I wasn't aware that the House clerk could go to the Ethics Committee and convene a hearing and get advisory opinions. Is that typical? You know, what I'm going to comment on is what I spoke of earlier. The House Ethics Committee is an important committee. It has its procedures and policies. I believe they're going to draw conclusions as they are required. But, but can you confirm that the email that I read to you was an email you received? I, it was through a sunshine request to, to the House of Representatives. Can you confirm that email was sent and that the chief clerk asked I, for this House Ethics Committee to be convened? I do not want to get involved in this. Uh, I will concede that I received emails. Um, so have you ever heard of a thing called the Missouri News Horizon? No. Do you know why you've never heard of the Missouri News Horizon? Well, why is that? Well... I'll, I'll tell you now there is news coverage of this. Uh, there's actually, there's a, there's a couple stories. The Missouri news horizon was an entity convened by some conservative donors in much the same way. The, the Missouri independence conceived by liberal donors. It was before you got here. Um, I want to say it was around 2011, 2012, 2013. They produced uh, conservative news content that they put out to mostly radio stations to try to get them to put out a conservative message, similar to the independent. But they were actually kicked out of this ridiculous press association thing because they didn't disclose their funders. Did you know that? No, I did not. Well, I guess to me, it's an odd thing that if one group was kicked out for being too Republican, but other groups unabashedly Democratic, liberal, but they're fine with that. It almost makes me think that the, the media is liberal, so they're fine with liberals. But if you're conservative and you're doing the exact same thing, well, we can't have that. A am I wrong? Well, it seems there's a double standard. Well, let me ask you this, then. 
So the state of Missouri at gunpoint will take your money, right? Or their property or they'll, they'll fleece you, right? They'll hold you up down off a, off of a balcony and shake you down for money. Then they take those tax dollars and they provide a left-wing group, parking space, office space, free research and document production that frankly you wouldn't provide to member of the general public and you wouldn't provide to conservative for sure. I mean, can, can you, can you justify to Republican voters why this double standard exists? No, it's the first I've heard of it. Um, but I have done research into this Soros funded media hit, hit scam. Um, and I know they have dark money. I don't know where it comes from entirely. It's dark. It's suspicious. And I think we need to do further investigation into that as well. There shouldn't be a double standard. I'm going to send you the story of the Missouri News. Well, and when I say I, I mean, Kelton will probably actually do the real adult work of doing it. He'll send you the Missouri News Horizon. And it'll be interesting to me to see. I, I've always just wondered. Uh, and again, I don't have a problem with what the News Horizon did. They were, I mean, if you if you cared to know, you knew what they were, right? If you care what the independent, you know what you know what they are. But they were treated extremely differently. And the only thing I can tell is it's because one was conservative and one was very liberal. I, I, I just I wonder if that's something that 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 members can justify their constituents to take public resources. I mean, what could you rent out an office in the Capitol for? My God, uh, to take public resources and let them be divvied up in such a demonstrably unfair way. And I think Governor Parson tried to bring this up, too. I'll I'll. Uh, and when I say I, of course, I mean Kelton, because it'll actually get done. We'll send you that. Um, okay. So now, if, if, if that's true, that's that should be wrong. You shouldn't take taxpayer money and give a news organization, um, you know, office space, parking spaces, all that. But how many other things have Republicans done with your tax money and federal money? And spin it on the most ridiculous, dumb, stupid things that they can think of. But because Republicans are doing it, okay. But if it's a liberal or liberal organization, oh my God, we're going to stop this. We, how about we investigate how much Missouri taxpayer money gets wasted on the dumbest things? A park in Kansas City over an interstate. Millions of dollars. Things of that nature. Ah, we don't want to. We don't want to talk about that. It's a budget. It's a big old budget. But ah, hey, a liberal news organization seems to be getting money from taxpayers. We need to get all over that. Meanwhile, these so-called conservative—well, conservatives—but so-called conservatives, uh, like Plocker and the rest, are happy to, yeah, just blow through your money, trip all over themselves to spend it. So. It's eh, just a little bit hypocritical on Mr. Fawn and Mr. Plocker's uh, part here. Let me just ask you this final question here. I want to thank our folks at the Court by Marriott, which is the only place to stay in Jeff City, and and the folks at United Fiber. Actually, this the money you you put out, uh, Speaker Plocker, for rural broadband. If you want to see how that money is used and used very 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 well, go up to Savannah United Fiber. They know how to do it. Uh, let me just ask you the question. I think folks really want to know. We saved it for last. I saw a freshman representative from Northwest Missouri came out and said, you should step down. Uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of, a lot of Democrats and liberals that think you should step down, which is par for the course. Are you under any circumstances as of right now, having any discussions about resigning your position as speaker of the Missouri house of representatives? 
Absolutely not. I look forward to leading the House to produce good conservative legislation such as property tax cuts, personal property tax reform. There's a lot of good things to do. I'm not going to let this liberal distraction from George Soros remove me from doing a good job for the people. And can we get rid of the DH? <laughs> yeah, I would also. I advocated that all the time. I'm a purist in baseball. Mr. Speaker, you said we had 20 minutes. I appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, Scott. Have a good day. Thank you. That was Missouri Speaker of the House, Dean Plocker. Uh, I appreciate it. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do to come and sit here and uh, and take uh, and answer questions about things. You know, here's the thing. You've heard uh, some staffers that, that you could argue whether they have access. Right? I, again, we talked about this. I, I know Dana, Dana Radom and Miller. I've always thought she was a, a, a top professional. Um. I, I kind of give you my thoughts on why she would feel the need to do this. And I, and again, I don't know. She's not told me. Um, I, uh, I don't, I don't understand that there's a, there's a missing piece here that I, that I don't, I'm not privy to or don't get, or there's a misunderstanding somewhere. I've never heard Dean Plocker be hard to work for. In fact, I've always heard kind of the opposite. He's pretty easy to work for. That's not always a compliment in Jeff city to be, to believe it or not. Uh, but now looking as we kind of project forward in this, uh, I look back on this, right? So, number one, I see nothing wrong with a contact with with getting, coming up with new software to contact constituents. Um, when you're in the house, especially your first couple terms, there's not a lot to do. So, ten carry constituents probably very high on your list and should stay on your high on your list. I do believe that if they had a different lobbyist representing them, I could probably think of three that they probably would not have had this the exact blowback by some of the house staff. Now, again, I can't say that for sure, but if I was a betting man, and and now thanks to Kelton, I am, I'd bet that. Now, did the speaker push for it? Yeah, probably. Sounds like he did. Uh, did he go too far? I, I don't know. I mean, what is too far? I mean, hell, Bob Griffin would have just bought the damn thing and turned in the receipt later. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not, the, the House is ran generally by a speaker that, that has a lot of stroke, and, and the, the caucus follows. That's pretty much the tale of the post-term limit house. And the pre-term house, it was exactly that way. So I guess my gut tells me that, that maybe that's a, a, a disagreement that led to some other stuff. There was obviously some problems in this staff, whether they were dean's problems, whether they're staff's problems, they weren't getting along. And I could tell you as a former staff guy, if you have a problem with the, the elected official, the person that leaves is not the elected official. It's like you can't – what's the old saying, Kelton? You can't fire the team, you fire the manager. Um. So the, the staff usually is the one to go there um, on this expense thing. I think the guy's – this is my white trash opinion. I think the guy screwed up. I think he screwed up. I think when you're speaker, you have, you have the campaign count. You have all these other things going on. Um, you have – but it doesn't excuse you screw it up. So he screwed up. Uh, He's gonna, he's gonna, I guess, pay back. So essentially, what I to break it down in case we were talking too fast there, he had a, he had a trip. He went somewhere. I think the Waikiki or something. Which it's it, it as well as things. It looks as bad as it can look. You get the valley parking there. It just it's it's not a good look. But but the but the facts are there's a conference about law, something about writing laws. I don't know. They said they out the clean Missouri folks outlawed that, and I think it it screwed that up when they let you take these trips from like these different groups that are educational it's a bunch of technical crap don't get up at if you're a liberal watching this the democrats do it too uh and it's legal but then there's a question of did your campaign pay for it did the state pay for it in this case the state paid for it now he bought his airplane ticket early which is the smart thing to do 
which is a very frugal Missouri. All right, I'm going to stop there because I'm tired of listening to this guy just prattle on. But he screwed up. Nine times he screwed up. Nine times in five years he screwed up. And Mr. Hillbilly White Trash Billy Bob Jean Thunderbutt here is just babbling on incoherently. And he's just, he's trying to, well, he's trying to make excuses. And it's, it's really hard to, it's really hard to listen to. Again, I, I'm glad I didn't eat a lot because I would have thrown, it's just listening, listen to these two guys. I, I just expect they're going to go make out right afterwards. I don't know, but listen, the guy screwed up. And and then the last time I covered this, it was like, oh, yeah, he's a good-looking guy. He's young-looking. Yeah, if, he, if you were, th- would you ever have guessed his age? And what again? If you're trying, that just makes it worse in my eyes. It looks like you're literally trying to paste over everything because you're talking about the guy's looks and how he's too nice for politics, and he's just it, they're throwing every they're throwing the victim card out willy-nilly. That's all they're doing. They're playing the victim card. They're playing like a progressive. To, Everybody just hates me and nobody loves me and I'm a victim. I'm a... And when you say, well, he's just too nice for politics and he's he's a sharp dressed, nice looking man and blah, 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 blah. It, it just makes it look worse. I, I don't know. I, I listen. Sometimes I just roll these names off. I roll these insults off the tip of my tongue, and I know they don't always go together. But Hillbilly White Trash Thunderbutt sounds like a good nickname for Scott Vaughn, okay? Anyway, I, I need to stop doing that. But it, it's just, it's irrit- it's annoying. Be- and here's the thing. This guy complains about liberal media and what they're doing right now. And he seems to be, seems to be, that he is trying to cover up for the guy. I mean, sure, he asked him plain, exact questions. What about this? What about this? He did, he did his job in a way that ma- tried to make himself seem. He tried to make himself seem impartial, but he clearly can't be that way because he's coming up with every theory in the book to explain why staffers would do this. Maybe. Just maybe he went overboard pushing for fireside software that didn't keep the phone calls here in the state of Missouri. Where the, and, and the the reps were asked, most of them don't use the software, and nobody's complained about it. The, the software they have now. So it, it just seems like they're covering up. Or he's covering up. Of course, Plotter's trying to cover up. But it seems like Fawn is, you know, harboring a fugitive. I don't know. He's, what, what do they call that when you help somebody escape the law? You know, harboring a fugitive or, uh, you know, aiding and abetting. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. I wanted to, I wanted you folks to hear that. Uh, regurgitated gobbledygook mess that it was of, hey, 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 hey. It's okay, buddy. I help you out. Again, 
we need to see the emails between Fawn and Plocker. We also, as a group, need. And now Patrick swears, and he Patrick's probably right. If you if you troll the channel too much, he'll just shut the he'll shut the comments off. And that's a very good possibility. But when they shut the comments off on the video, it also looks suspicious, right? If you if you're able to comment and then all these people start commenting and he just shuts it off, it seems like someone doesn't want to have civil discourse and they can't handle the uh you know the criticism. And they don't like being called out when their bias is showing right through. So, you know, I, again, I, I don't want to draw attention and, and send people Scott Fawn's way. But when we when a lot of us talk about media manipulation and media bias, left wing bias in the media, we talk about it all the time this left leaning bias in the media. But then you have a so-called conservative media person here, this quote unquote journalist named Scott Fawn who seems to be doing the same thing but on the supposedly the other side of the aisle because Scott Fawn has said, yeah, I'm probably the most conservative guy you'll ever meet. But he never asks these guys. He, he, has, he doesn't ever ask them tough questions. He doesn't ask them, why is the budget sky high? Why won't you support the cutting of personal property tax or any taxes that matter? Why is sports gambling more important to you than freedom-loving issues? So is Scott Fawn a conservative or a conservative? I think we all know the answer to that. But son of a biscuit-eating basketball player, we, you know, in our media, and even in, in media that only covers Missouri politics, we have got to do better. We have to be factual on our information. We have to, I mean, sure, I have a lot of liberty-loving, you know, reps and other and people of, of that type on this show all the time because that's what I want to propagate. I want that type of information out there so other people can hear it because we don't have enough of it. So I guess I have my own bias built in, right? Everybody has, it, it's almost impossible not to kind of put your own bias, especially in politics, to insert your bias because you have a bias built in. You think things should be a certain way. And so you're going to insert that into your show. That, that's part of your material because I'm not a journalist, right? I'm just a podcaster and I'm giving you my thoughts and I'm interviewing people that I think that I find interesting or I've never spoken to before. And that's what I do. And I insert my bias in. But what I try never to do is let my bias interfere with the truth, right? We try not to let our biases interfere with liberty. Think, uh, we don't try to trample all over liberty. We don't try to, oh, well, this guy was conservative 30% of the time. He voted right on this bill, so I'm gonna, you know, we're going to forget the other 70% of things that were awful. Sure, we want to we wanna congratulate him for voting the right way and pushing liberty legislation, but you, have to, you also have to 
you know, call them out for the 70% of the other things they do completely backwards. And so that's just the way it is. If you love liberty and you love freedom, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with everybody else around you. So that's my thoughts for this whole thing. I've got, I I don't want to go on too much longer. Um, I'm going to go, I got to go into work tomorrow for a little while. Then I got a birthday party to attend, but I definitely wanted to cover a little bit of this. And yes, I will be making a sunshine request to the house of representatives for emails between Scott Vaughn and Dean Plocker. And let's see what we get. Now there very well could be literally nothing to show for it. But I think it would be funny if Plocker contacted Fawn and said, hey, we got a sunshine request for emails between you and me. What's up with that? I think it would just be funny if we could start that little bit of a conversation. Is Fawn going to be scared or trembling? No. But it would be it would be fun to stir the pot a little bit. But again, the way Fawn is treating Plocker. I think it would be interesting to see if there's any email correspondence and what questions are being asked and all these other things. I think that would be quite interesting to know if those things exist and what are being said. So with that being said, thank you again, everyone, uh, for viewing or listening to this edition of the Missouri Liter- Liberty Report. Liter- Litterby? <laughs> Liberty Report. Again, next week, Sam and Trish Britton from Missouri Liberty Radio, MOLibertyRadio.us, and Off the Cuff will be joining me next week to discuss uh, smart meters and what that all means for all of us. So look forward to that conversation. Also, again, don't forget to check out MOLibertyRadio.us, especially on Sunday nights, 6 to 9 p.m. Central Time, Off the Cuff Radio. Don't forget to check out MOFree, that's MOFree.org. Uh, subscribe to their email list. Find out about all of their their live streams. They went to three platforms last week, Twitch, Rumble, and YouTube. Uh, 7.30s on Saturday evenings. You can find out uh, all about what's going on here in the state of Missouri. They will be covering this whole Dean Plocker debacle uh, as well. So there's going to be a lot of different information, a lot of different thoughts on this very, very important issue. Also, check out KEYK Radio, KeyRadio.live. Um, what's the other one? Oh, my God. Oh, KeyGatheringPlace.com. And last but not least, check out the awesome Catherine and Kirby on Rogue Politics because they are breaking some of these very important stories and... Uh, they're doing a fantastic job. So make sure you support them all. And uh, again, I don't know if, if you and Rumble and YouTube, I can see I have a new um, logo and I will be working on uh, at some point, hopefully not in the, you know, or in the not too distant future, I'll be working on getting some uh, 30 ounce insulated tumblers uh, made up with the new logo on it that I got from Fiverr. This is an unpaid plug. Uh, Fiverr spent 50 bucks, 45, $45 got a logo within two days. I'm happy with it. So yeah, going to have some merchandise, some 30 ounce, uh, insulated mugs 
done up and then those will be for sale. Probably going to give a couple away to some uh, viewers. But yeah, thanks to, let me go down the list here of everybody that joined me tonight. So we have John Doe, we have Casey Rich, we have Gary Ride, we have Catherine Dreyer, we have Voodoo Queen, Hunter the Parmesan Cheese Expert, uh, Tom Martz, we had, uh, oh boy, I lost him. He's in here somewhere. I said Voodoo Queen, right? Wilderness Gal, hope I said Voodoo Queen. If I didn't, I said it three times. Oh, the uh, Tenacious Tortoise was also joining us. Uh, Ganai was in here as well. It's Warrior Class 3. So you all had a lot of great comments uh, during the show with Gretchen and especially lively uh, comments when the Plocker Fawn video was playing and that audio was going through. So thanks to all of you for your continued support. Great show tonight. Again, uh, big kudos to Gretchen on what her and the organizations are doing to... Um, I'm pretty sure Ganai snuck in here. Did I did I make stuff? Gary Ride. Did I miss Gary Ride? Hey, guys, the coffee kicked in, and I'm going 90 to nothing. I could have swore Ganai was in here. Okay, I guess it was Warrior Class 3, and I'm drunk on caffeine. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, uh, a big kudos to uh, Gretchen Bergman on the work she's doing and the education that she's putting forth because Prohibition has never worked. And I'm glad to have met her, and I'm glad to have been able to talk to her. And uh, she may need to be a recurring guest here every so often to update us on the work she's doing. All right, with that being said, folks, everybody have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week right here on the Missouri Liberty Report. Want more freedom? It starts with you. Join us next week on the Missouri Liberty Report and find out how you can get involved to take back your state.